Well, good morning, Oakwood family. We are in part three of a series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Holiday Prep. We are preparing our relationships for the most wonderful time of the year. And whether that be relationships that are close to you, like your marriage, uh, your immediate family, your best friend, the person that, that, that is your roommate, or it is your extended family, as we encounter a lot of that uh, during the holiday season, we want to glorify God and magnify his name even in our relationships. And what we find out, if we'll actually apply scripture to our lives and live out relationships the way God intended, it actually serves us well. It's actually a blessing to us. So it's a, it's a great, great thing. As every week, we invite you to engage the word of God with us. So if you have your Bible, open it up. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. And the title of today's message is The Love Checklist. We're going to go through a checklist of love and how that applies to our relationships. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, as is true every week, as we uh, are, uh, are studying the Word of God together, if you want to get on your phone or your tablet, download the Oakwood app and go to Sermon Notes. All of the scriptures and all the sermon notes are there for you. There's even a way for you to take notes yourself and save them in the app. So I invite you to engage the Word of God uh, together this morning. As we began this series, we began in James chapter 1. And if you remember, uh, we talked about how James was imploring us in our relationships to be what? To be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And if we could just apply that, right? Everybody nods their head, yes, yeah, sounds wonderful. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I wish my best friend would do that. I wish my, my spouse would do that. I wish my friend would do that. I wish this long off family member would do that. Yes, but we have to apply it. And then last week, we actually talked and we honed in on our words. Ephesians 4.29 challenges us to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but only that which is good for building up others according to their needs. And oh, church, if we could just apply that part of the text from last week, unwholesome talk, that we could shut down the unwholesome talk and speak kindly and lovingly to one another, man, how would that affect relationships that may become so tenuous during the holiday season. And today, like I said, we're gonna be talking about love and the love checklist. We're gonna begin in John chapter 13. So if, you, if you're at 1 Corinthians 13, that's where I want you to be. We're just gonna look at one, uh, one or two verses here in John just to establish this. This is the upper room discourse with uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples there. And he says this to his closest followers. A new command I give you, okay? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this type of love, by this type of expression of love, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And that word love there is, is a special word for love. In fact, it's the one that's used most frequently 
in the New Testament, and it's the word, the Greek word, agape. So in the original language the Bible is written, that, that word love is always, is, is agape in that verse. So, so Jesus is saying, this command I give you is to agape, to love one another as I have agapeoed you. So you must agape, love one another. And by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. There won't be a question in their mind that you're my disciples if you will agape, love one another. In the New Testament, there's a couple words that are used for the word love. We translate all of these the same in English. It's just love, 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 love. But they're actually different words in the original Greek language. The, this one, agape, and we're going to talk about what that means in a second. But there's another word that's very popular that's used a lot in the New Testament, and that's the word phileo. And the word phileo is where we get our, our, our word for Philadelphia, which is called the city of brotherly love. Okay, just like that, phileo is this brotherly love. It's, it's, it's a love that is kind of based on conditions. If I think you're cool and I like you and I have good feelings toward you, I love you, that is phileo. Hey, brother, what's up, man? High five. Phileo type of love. There's also other types of love that's given to us in the Greek. Uh, one of them is eros, where we get our word erotic. It's a pa love of passion. Um, to be expressed in a marriage. There's also another word, storge. Storge is another word for love in the Greek, and it actually gives us this idea of family love. It's like the love and affection we have for family members. It's a love of familiarity. Oh, you're my brother and my sister. We're related. We, we live together. We spend this time together, and so I love you. And so we love in all these different ways, and then we get to this word that's used most of the time in the New Testament, and it's, and it's this word agape, and it expresses God's love for us and the love that Christians are to have for one another. And it's best defined as this. Agape love is a pure, willful, sacrificial, and unconditional love. It is pure, willful, sacrificial, and unconditional it is pure because it describes even the essence of who God is. In 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. God is, and that's that word there, agape. God is agape. So we know that it is pure in its purest form. God describes himself by the word. It's also willful. It's, it's based on a decision, not a feeling. It's a conscious decision to choose to love someone and to, tr to truly treat them as someone that you love, it is not based on your feelings toward them. It's not based on, on any condition or circumstance. It is only based on the choice, the conscious, and the will. The other thing we know about agape love is that it is a sacrificial love. Because it is said in scripture that it is agape that sent Jesus to the cross. His great love for us. It's a love that sacrifices self. And looks out for the best interest of others. And the other thing that we learn is that it is an unconditional love. It's a love that's not based on conditions, on circumstances. Hey, if I get my needs met, then I'll love you. Or based on these conditions, if you get better here, then I'll love you. No, agape goes beyond all of that. Now, you've probably heard, if you've been around the church for some period of time, you've probably heard of 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, a lot of people call it the love chapter. It's the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. If you go to a wedding, oftentimes, you might hear the passage that we're going to be reading and talking about today. What's interesting about 1 Corinthians 13 is actually not the whole chapter is not just about love. It's about uh, many other things, including hypocrisy. But what we find in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4, 
is that this is a descriptive list of agape. In fact, the word love that appears every time in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through the first part of verse 8, every time you see the word love, it's agape. And so it's talking, and it's really doing this expose and showing us exactly what God's type of love is. What is agape love? And how do we best live that out in our lives? Now, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I hear something like this, and I'm like, 1 Corinthians 13. I had to memorize that at church camp when I was a kid. I heard that in Sunday school. I probably had 10 Sunday school lessons on it, and I probably heard about four sermons, and I've been in like 25 weddings, and so don't, okay, here's my thing this morning. Don't be done. Don't be done with this passage, okay? And I'll tell you why. As much as I've heard it over and over again and studied it for myself, I am so excited because I feel like God has revealed through this word agape and through love what relationships can be. And trust me, we need the holiday prep, right? We need to prep for the holidays so that we can have awesome times with family, friends, loved ones, spouses during this upcoming season. Because it is also the most wonderful time of the year and it's also the most stressful time of the year. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. That's an honest crowd there. That's good. That's good. Honest in God's church. So let's read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 4, says this, that love, agape, is patient. Agape love is kind. And it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. Wow. Let's study. Let's get out from God this morning. What does it mean? So this is going to be our love checklist, our agape love relationship checklist. And I want you to consider do we put this into practice? Do we practice this? And, and, and are there some areas that we could grow and how we are called by God to love one another? And apply it to your context. Is it your extended family at Thanksgiving? Or, or is it your brother or sister? Or is it your brother or sister in the Lord? Or is it your spouse? Is it, is it, is it a friend, a really good friend? Or maybe it's you, got, you have an apartment with a friend and you guys aren't getting along. What is it? What, apply it to your context this morning, this agape love relationship checklist. Number one, it says that love is far from wrath or anger and is long-tempered. We read it as love is patient. Love is patient, and so it is far from wrath or anger and is long-tempered. It gives us this idea that love forbears with others instead of getting angry and sometimes maybe acting prematurely. And this Patience, this love of patience is exercised, exercised toward us from God. Aren't we glad and so thankful that God is patient? That God is a patient God and God is a God who loves us. And in his love, it is patience because his love is patient with us. We're called many times in Scripture to be patient. One of those passages is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, and it's talking to the Christians here about people in the body of Christ. He says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive in your church. Encourage those who are disheartened and discouraged in your church. 
Help the weak and be patient with everyone. Isn't it interesting that patience is the attitude that we're to apply to those who are idle and disruptive, that we're supposed to be warning them, that the ones that we're encouraging because they're disheartened, the ones that we're helping because they're weak, all of those be patient with everyone. And trust me, even if you don't want to admit it this morning, you are so grateful to have a God that loves you with patience. Love is far from wrath or anger. It is long-tempered. The second thing this morning in our checklist, love shows undeserved benevolence. Love shows undeserved benevolence. We read that it says love is kind. Love is kind. It performs kind, kind deeds and maybe speaks in kind ways. And in attitudes and functions of the heart, it is the way that we treat other people. It is our treatment toward people. Kindness. Kindness seems to touch the heart. Kindness is almost always noticed and appreciated because it is so rare to find kindness in our world today. And yet it says here in the text that love is kind, that it shows undeserved benevolence toward another person. Kindness. When was the last time that you showed somebody some kindness? Maybe if you're thinking about your marriage and you think, wow, I can think back to the early days of, of, of dating and, and then culminating into this bond, into this union that we call marriage, and how kind I was. I treated my wife with kindness. I treated my husband with such kindness. And now if you think about just let's just go back a week. How did you treat your spouse? Undeserved Undeserved benevolence? Were you kind? How you treated that coworker? Even when they did wrong, even though they're a numbskull, you know, it's like, were you kind? When you were frustrated, were you kind? You see, if we apply agape to relationships, we find that love shows undeserved benevolence. And as we again think about our relationship with God, aren't we glad we serve a God? that loves us with undeserved benevolence. He's kind. God's calling us, be patient and be kind. Love is patient, love is kind. And then we begin this list of, of actions and mindsets and a commentary on love and how, it's, how these things are incompatible with love. It, it says that these things are, are things that love does not. And, and it says it in the negative sense through this, through this list. And, and then the next one is this. It says love does not seek self-advancement over relational growth. Love does not seek self-advancement over relational growth. Let me explain the list here. This is summarizing. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. You see, all those, it's talking in the negative. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking because love does not seek self-advancement over relational growth. It's selfishness, self-seeking. When you bring that into a relationship, the relationship will always struggle. In every type of relationship, it will struggle, whether it is a marriage relationship, whether it is a friendship, whether it is a work relationship, or an extended family relationship. If you bring selfishness into the equation, the relationship will always suffer. 
A good summary of this is thinking of yourself less than you should think of others and their needs. We have a great example of this from Philippians chapter 2 when it's talking about Jesus, the Son of God. And it says that it says there that he considered himself nothing and took on the form of man and was obedient even to death, even death on a cross. And it says in that passage, too, that we should consider others as better than ourselves because Christ is our example in that. And that's why love does not seek self-advancement and its own agenda over relational growth. And this, this when, we, when we think about this in, in, in relationship to other people, it, it manifests itself during the holidays in many different ways. We can get really selfish with our time. We can get really selfish with our expectations. You know, I, I really wanted to go this way and it didn't because, you know, this person showed up and they just had a rotten attitude and Sometimes we, we think we have these things, we build them up as we come into the holiday season. And inevitably, we, we all do this. We have these, these expectations, whether they're spoken or unspoken, of how things are to go and how things are to be. And I wish my spouse was a little more sensitive. And I wish my, my spouse was a little more kind. And I wish my, you know, and, I, and, and these selfish, almost ambitions, these selfish expectations we have oftentimes set us up and put us in this place where it's really about me. It's a me monster that shows up every holiday season. And love does not seek self-advancement, agendas, or the me over relationships and relational growth with others. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. The fourth thing in our checklist is that love does not dishonor others. If you read an older translation, uh, it might say, and maybe you've, you've memorized it this way perhaps, it says that love is not rude. Love is not rude. And, and I like this rendering better. You know, you think of rude, you think, well, rude is like a manner thing. You know, it's, it, it's like burping at the Thanksgiving table or something. You know, it's like love doesn't do that. Well, it's, it's way deeper and beyond that. Love does not dishonor others. And when we talk about honor in the church, a lot of times we talk about honor when it comes to parenting. Right? Because we know what it says in the Old Testament. It tells children to honor their father and their mother. To honor them. So we always like to define that in God's church. And, and as we're teaching our kids or we're teaching parents how to function and in in, in, in honor God in that and, and have honor-based parenting in the home, the definition of honor is this. So all the uh, kids in the room pay attention, okay? Honor is obeying the first time doing more than what's expected, and doing it with a good attitude. Honor is obeying the first time, doing more than what's expected, and doing it with a good attitude. Now, let's put on your parent hat, and I know there's a lot of parents here this morning, even if you're not a parent, uh, put yourself in their shoes, okay? You tell your little one, hey, I want you to go take out the trash, and imagine it goes down like this. Hey, little Johnny, please take out the trash. Okay, mom. And he goes and he picks up the trash. He takes it out of the can. He carries it out the back door and over to the trash can outside. He's done what he's been asked to do, right? He obeyed the first time. But he's going to do more than what's expected. He actually comes back in. He gets a liner from underneath the sink. I know, I know, I know it's rare. He gets a liner for the, he actually lines the trash can. 
He did more than was expected. Because usually what? Usually the trash can is not lined, especially at Thanksgiving. And all the food gets what? Thrown in there without the liner for mom to come up and, and dad to come up later and clean it all up, right? That's, that's the way that it goes. And so what? not only did he obey the first time, he did more than was expected because he put the liner in the trash can and he did it with a good attitude. Because when he's done, he was like, I did it, mom, done. And they got to go back to play. And it's like, wow. How do parents feel in that moment? Honored, okay? That's kind of in the superficial, funny sense of it. But think about this in relationships. How you make others feel honored by responding in a timely fashion. By going the extra mile and doing something that maybe isn't expected. And by having a good attitude about it. That's how God wants us to love one another. And love is not rude. It does not not dishonor others. Instead, it shows honor to others. I think it's such a lost thing in our culture today. I think it's a lost thing in in how our government functions. I think that a lot of the positions in the government, in in government um, authority to elected positions, and I know it's a, a public service to the people, but you honored and you showed respect to those people. And it, it's just so lost today. Honor to authority in your life, honor to parents in the home. I and mean, we've conditioned our kids through media, through sitting them in front of the Disney Channel for too many years that, you know, parents are stupid and kids rule the world. It, it's not honoring, it's not presented in an honoring way. There's so many other places in life where we should bestow honor. We have the opportunity um, coming up uh, uh, this week with, with Veterans Day to show honor, to pay honor, and to pay respect. It's, it's just so lost. Oftentimes, it's interesting because the word there in the Greek that we translate as rude or, or dishonoring often has the context of decency. It's like, just be decent toward one another. What is What does it mean to be decent, to honor? Love, agape, does not dishonor others. Fifth one this morning on the checklist, love is not easily provoked. It is not easily provoked. We read it in the text as love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. This means incited to anger by resentment and escalated quickly. It gives us this idea of love is patient from the beginning again because there's forbearance involved again. We are not to be quick-tempered. We're we're to consider maybe even taking a break before we respond. You know, you've heard of that before. Oh, if you just count to 10. Well, it's not really about counting to 10. It's about the break to make you think before you talk, before you act, before you act out on your feelings. Because anger seems to be one of those quick emotions, right? James 1, week 1 of the series, Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because we're going to think and we're going to consider how God wants us to act and to react in these situations that we find ourselves in, especially within the context of our families during the holidays. Love is not going to be easily provoked. Or just escalate so fast and now we can't enjoy time together. It's not going to be easily angered by what doesn't go right or by what he said or she said or he did or that was so rude and, and that was so selfish. And love is not easily provoked. And sometimes I think it would do us well as Christians to take a time out to think and pray before we respond. Love is not easily provoked. The next one, the sixth one on our checklist is love does not hold a grudge. 
We read in the text that says, love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love forgives very quickly. But it's interesting because if you read it within the, to- the context, you think love keeps no record of wrongs. That's almost like, oh, you've heard that terminology before. Forgive and forget, right? Forgive and forget. Hmm. Is that even possible? Is that possible in the flesh? Think about it, folks. Let's be honest this morning. To forgive and to forget. Sometimes we have a really hard time. We cannot just forget what happened to us. And even in our best well-intentioned day, we sometimes, what's the word? I hate using the word never and always, but because of the permanence of it, we will never be able to forget. And I wonder sometimes when we're challenged with this and, and, and you know, keeping no record, you know, keeping no record of wrongs, uh, not holding a grudge against another person, I think in our minds we say yes, but how? And I wonder if the forgetfulness part about we're not going to keep the record, I wonder if it needs to be approached more like this in our minds. Is it maybe the way that we forgive and we forget is the first time we encounter that person, the first time we see them again at Thanksgiving or Christmas, the first time we encounter them again, that our first thought isn't all the bad things that they've done. That our first thought isn't what they did last year or the last time we talked to them on the phone or last time we read the email or last time they sent that text is that when we approach them and we practice agape love, that it's not that that's the first thing on our mind, but it's gonna be the last thing on our mind. Not that we can completely forget it, but that we're not gonna bring that record of wrongs list right up at the front of it. And maybe that's the baby steps perhaps toward actually being able to live out love in this way, is to not hold a grudge, to keep no record of wrongs because we're gonna forgive And we may remember what happened, but we're not going to have that be the first thought in the forefront of our minds when we encounter them. We're going to to try to put it behind and shelve it and put it in the past and move forward in that moment. Love does not hold a grudge. Love, number seven on our checklist, love is not glad when others go wrong. Love is not glad when others go wrong. We were reading the text there that love does not delight in evil. And then it it juxtaposes right there in the verse because it says, love does not delight in evil. And then it goes to the positive. It says what? But rejoices with the truth. It's the antithesis of it right there in the verse. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What does that mean exactly? We're not to be glad when someone goes off. Sometimes we get that way when we're maybe not doing the love part that we just talked about and holding a grudge or no, keeping no record of wrongs. When it says that love does not rejoice in evil, sometimes it's like, man, I hope they mess up. And then I hope they, hope they get in trouble. It's almost like we wish ill will on them, but not from just circumstantial things, from behavioral things. I hope they spin off and get themselves in a whole lot of trouble. It's not loving. I hope that comes back to bite them. You ever said that? I hope what goes around comes around. That'd be the opposite. Love is not glad when others go wrong. Even in your mind, if it's justified and you think they deserve it. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Rejoices with the truth of the gospel. Rejoices when people align their lives with Jesus Christ. Rejoices when people choose to to be a people of the second chance. 
And you accept God's free gift of grace and forgiveness so that they can go and walk in newness of life that it talks about in Romans 6. So they can realize the fullness of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone's in Christ, it's a new creation. They can become their new creation because now the old has gone and the new has come. Love, agape, is not glad when others go wrong. And then that kind of comes to the end of, of the list of what love does not or what love is not in this list. And then we get down there to verse seven. It switches, and, and now it talks about what love is, and it uses this word always as we go from verse seven into the first part of verse eight. It's talking about the permanence of agape, that, that true love, this kind of love, the love God has for us and the love we are to have for one another, the love that Christians are to love with is agape love. It's the love that keeps marriages together. It's a love that keeps families together. It's a love that keeps ball teams together and workplaces together and all things together. Love. And what does it say? Let's just read it in verse 7. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And again, when he's writing this, he's writing this for emphasis sake for all of us. Just like last week when he did the this and this and this and this and this. It's for emphasis sake that he keeps saying always. He could say that it always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. But for emphasis sake, he's talking about the permanence of agape love and that it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And then in verse 8 he says, love never fails. But it's not phileo love or eros, or storge, it's agape, it's God's kind of love for us. Love always supports. Love always supports. We read in the text, it says love always protects. It says that it bears all things. And what's interesting about that word in the Greek, what it actually means is slow to expose. Love is slow to expose. You your long-suffering and you're forbearing with someone. And so you're not rushing to point out all the bad things about their character, all the negative things, and point out all of their sin. And we are called to rebuke and admonish one another, and sometimes that's necessary and right. But when we're practicing love in this way, we do those things in private. We protect, we support, we bear all things and are slow to expose those things for other because that to others because that is the most loving. Love always supports. Number nine on our checklist, love always believes the best. Love always believes the best. We read in the text, it says what? Love always trusts. It is not unduly suspicious. That's not loving. In fact, if we could just use this and use this and think about this, love assumes positive intentions always. What a difference just assuming positive intentions can make in our world. It's one of our staff values here at Oakwood that as a church staff, we want a culture that assumes positive intentions. Because if we do that, and we're double booked on room space on a Wednesday night, or we got the youth and the children's both want that van on the same day, that we don't assume negative intentions like, man, he booked it before me, he just did that because da 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 da. No, we assume positive intentions. 
There was an innocent mistake that, that they just didn't dot their I's and cross their T's. There was no ill will in it. It just happened to work out that way. And so we assume positive intentions and say, they didn't do that to spite me. They didn't do that to hurt me. It just happened. Sometimes in life, those kind of things happen. Stuff just happens. And there was no ill will or intention behind it. And think about your marriage. Those of you who are married for a moment here. What if you, when it came to your spouse, assumed positive intentions? You know, he did not respond the way I wanted him to. In fact, he said, like, open mouth, insert, double foot. You know, it, it's, yeah. But he didn't, but think about, did he, did he really do that to hurt you more? To cause you pain? Or was he just, he didn't know what to say? There's maybe a little love and grace there. Is there love and grace for the, the situations in relationships that we come to? where we're called to do all of these things, be patient and keep no record of wrongs and to always be believing the best, to trust, to trust in positive intentions and know that we don't get it right all the time, but then we go back to that love is patient, forbearing, long-suffering with one another. And then it leads us to number 10 in the checklist, that this agape love always hopes even against the probabilities. It always hopes even against the probabilities. It just plays off of what we just talked about, assuming positive intentions. Love always hopes even against the probabilities. It hopes, love always hopes, because everything is possible with God. And I know some of you are coming into this season, and you're like, yeah, this is going to be the same as every year. It's the same thing. You know, it's the same way every year. Believe that all things are possible with God. All things are possible. And, and love hopes in that person and hopes even against all probabilities that it can change because of God's forgiveness and his great love for us and the supernatural power he has through his spirit. I have a hard time believing that Christians can't get along. If they're both real Christians, they've truly accepted Christ, they've repented of their sins, they have the free gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives, how can they not resolve whatever it is that needs to be resolved? Love always hopes, even against the probabilities. And number 11 on our checklist, love never gives up on people or circumstances. We read there that love always, what, perseveres. It always perseveres. It always is going to be there to the end. It's, 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 it's geared up and it's ready for the long suffering. Love never gives up on people or circumstances. Aren't we glad that God loves us in that way, that he doesn't give up on people? That he just doesn't give up and run away from all the circumstances. Love never gives up on people or circumstances. Love always perseveres. And so we have there in verse 7 that it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And the beginning of eight says, love never fails. Love never comes to an end. It's everlasting, never ending love. Agape love, God's kind of love, never comes to an end. What we read there, it says, is that love never fails. And a lot of people, if they look at the pain of their past relationships, they would say, oh, that is not true. But what you're talking about is phileo love, eros love, storge love, not agape love. Folks, this isn't love like you've thought of it in the past. This is the love of God 
God is love. God is agape, and agape never fails because God never fails. And that's how all these things are lived out. Do you understand now? That love never gives up on people or circumstances because love never fails because God never fails. Love always hopes even against the probabilities because love never fails because God never fails. Love always believes the best because love never fails because God never fails. Love always supports even when it doesn't feel like it. Why? Because love never fails because God never fails because agape, love never fails. This high breed of love is what we are called to live out as Christians. This is how we are to operate in relationships, all the relationships of our life. And I'm telling you, couples that practice agape don't get divorced. Families that practice agape don't split. And they not only can just get along and get through the holidays, they love spending time together during the holidays. Friends that practice agape don't become enemies. People at work that practice agape become some of the most powerful teams that lead companies and organizations. But it's different than the way we've been conditioned by this world to respond when we hear the word love. And yet as we prepare for the holidays, this is what God's called us to. Because love never fails. Love never comes to an end. It sees everything through to completeness. And in the end, love always wins. Love always wins. You ever read the end of the Bible? Book of Revelation? In the end, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have walked with him, those who have accepted his gift of grace, in the end, we win. We win. Why? Because love never fails. Love always wins out. And if you think about it, the greatest illustration of all time for this was on the cross. When you took all of the sin and all of the evil and everything Satan had in his arsenal and he throws it onto the Son of God on the cross of Christ Jesus, what does it say that sent Jesus to the cross? Agape. Love. And there was no way there was no way that love wasn't going to win. You see, Jesus Christ died because of his great love for us. In Ephesians 2, it says, while we were yet sinners, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, it says, but God, he intervened, but God, because of his great love for us, sent his son Jesus to be a sacrifice for our sins. That agape love is sacrificial. That agape love is a love of the will. That agape love is not based on conditions at all. And I know some of you this morning will be like, man, you're right. And I get it like I've never gotten it before. But for me, it's too late. Is it? Is it too late? Or could you make a choice today that, hey, from this moment forward, I'm going to do my best with the help of God and his Holy Spirit to love people with agape.